Welcome to Montrose Podcast, the official podcast of Montrose School here in Medfield, Massachusetts, where girls are called to greatness. I'm your host, Mary Cahill Farella, and I'm very happy that you can join us. Maybe you're an avid supporter of Montrose, a current parent, or a friend of the school. Or maybe you're new to Montrose, an independent school for girls in grades 6 through 12, inspired by the teachings of the Catholic Church. Here, young women achieve academic excellence in a rich liberal arts environment by developing enduring habits of mind, heart, and character. Thanks for joining us as we explore topics that highlight the power of a Montrose education and how it affects the world around us. As part of their continuing education, three Montrose teachers, Barbara Whitlock, Becky Roberts, and Jennifer Bowman, are currently pursuing master's degrees in character education at the University of Birmingham, a public research university in the UK. Their studies at the university's Jubilee Center for Character and Virtues are generously funded by the Kern Family Foundation, which supports Montrose's commitment to sharing principles and best practices in character education. What these Jubilee scholars are learning has ramifications, not just for themselves, not just for their students, but for the entire Montrose community and beyond. Everything I'm studying feeds into my teaching, right? So as a teacher, as a mentor, as a club leader of, you know, several clubs, the newspaper, multicultural club, creative writing club, you know, we're always forming students. We're forming students and their personal habits. We're trying to build up their confidence and coach them into how they can improve. And we're teaching them how to be leaders and how to be members of a community. So everything we do, formal and informal, is about forming them. So everything I'm studying really helps strengthen my awareness, my skills, and my attunement to help form students um, to be their best selves. That's Barbara Whitlock, coordinator of both humanities and critical reading, writing, and research, who teaches English and history at Montrose. Barbara gives us an overview of the Birmingham Master's Program and shows us what it's like to be a lifelong learner. The program is called a Master's in Character Education, and it's through the University of Birmingham in the UK and the um, Jubilee Center for Character Education, which is a think tank um, situated within that university, is the striving force um, and all the professors come through that program. So the goal of the program is to form teachers for neo-Aristotelian principles. So you get a good washing in Aristotle plus the more contemporary psychological and uh, sociological and educational research so that we bridge the kind of classical frameworks with contemporary research. And the ultimate goal is that we contribute to the research field. Um, and each, you know, it's a three-year program because everyone's also working. Uh, we take one course per trimester and write a major research-based or study-based and study-based um, paper each trimester. And so what's the research that you're currently working on? So my obsession is the role of relationships in character formation. 
one of the first books we read um, in our first trimester was a, a book by Julia Annas, who's a quite a renowned philosopher. Um, but her focus was to take Aristotle's analogy of developing character like an artisan develops craft. And it really bugged me that she seemed to create a really individualistic model of character formation as if we sort of generate our character within ourselves through our own practice. Of course, we live in relationship to others. Our character is tested and proved through our relationship to others. And so the role of key relationships as formative in especially character development for adolescents has been my focus. Mm. So and relationships then, almost as the container, like the Petri dish for character development. Exactly. And it's, you know, it's obviously multidimensional, but I, that theme has kind of woven through everything I've studied, no matter how diverse the topics are, it just keeps coming back. And the first paper I wrote was about the role of quality literature. So literature that really helps students develop relationships with characters that are psychologically complex and the role that forming those relationships has in helping students um, practice the kind of moral dilemmas and character judgment, as well as to develop empathy for characters. And my focus was great expectations, which I teach in ninth grade. And then the next course we had, we had to propose a study. So the study I've proposed which initially I planned on implementing this fall, but now might be pushed back to the dissertation stages, the role of friends of inequality and equality. So friends of inequality would be mentors, the mentor-mentee relationship. Friends of equality are peers. And the role, different roles that they play in helping develop practical wisdom. So two variables among four that are emphasized in the development of practical wisdom is emotional attunement and mm. sort of identifying goods in competition in a moral dilemma. And my hypothesis is that both peers and mentors help students with emotional regulation and that mentors also help them in naming goods in conflict. And that helps form them to connect the cognitive sort of aspirations of practical wisdom and align them with their emotions and eventually in how they choose and how they develop a blueprint for a good life. So that's a study I hope to do with my, my own mentees at some point. And then another project, the summer work that we did focused on the history of character education in the US and UK with some glimpses around the world. And I wound up doing a project on Horace Mann where he was innovative within the short tenure of his leadership of public schools in Massachusetts in the early 1800s. The profession of teaching changed from male to female dominated. He very much encouraged women to teach and he said women had sort of greater virtue and schools should be more home-like to create warm environments for students to flourish. Ironically, he was completely against women voting. So he had this really rigid understanding of the private sphere and women should sort of shepherd children and they're the best capable of bringing them into civic virtue as future citizens, but somehow they're not able to actually be citizens themselves. And what I showed was, you know, there's a danger in some of the literature 
where we focus on kind of women and the care ethic and women as nurturers that can really undermine the fullness of appreciating women in their cognitive and emotional capacities. And we have to be, there's sort of a school of thought in character education that rejects the simply cognitive and focuses a lot on women's nurturing roles. And I said that, especially in a school devoted to women's education, we got to have, you know, ride both sides of that horse and not fall off one side. What's been kind of the, um, the thing that you might not have expected that's come out of your work thus far in the master's program? Um, I guess, you know, I thought, you know, my, my background is political philosophy. I thought I knew my Aristotle pretty well, but when you start connecting the theory to more updated research in education and psychology, it illuminates that classical framework in really unexpected ways. And it's really liberating. You know, you don't sort of keep that theory in your little Aristotle pocket it, you really see how um, living that work remains and how accessible and how important it is for helping guide other um, contemporary research tasks. Well, and it must be interesting for you to gain in your learning and the depth of your learning about Aristotle. And so therefore you can pass it on and make it accessible all the better to your students. Absolutely. And, you know, we have, you know, we're, our, the number of teachers in our school participating in this program continues to grow. And the exciting part of that is the principles really, you know, first of all, of course, we've had Dr. Bolin here for so long, and she's trained in all of this. She's one of the scholars who um, was a traveling scholar who participated in the Jubilee Center. She's had things published with many of the scholars there. So that framework has spread. She's sort of been able to spread that wealth to the faculty and it only keeps growing exponentially. So the sort of cohesion of our mission connected to the cohesion of our teaching, our mentoring program, how we coach students in clubs and sports and everything else has this incredible sort of tight weave that holds it all together. And that's why, you know, we're so, everything we do is purposive because it's connected to clear principles and its application is everywhere and transparent as like NIESC accreditation um, revered us for. So much of this work is really, um, it's gonna be so beneficial to the community, right? So, I mean, even just the small research project that I did this fall taught me so much about you know, that segment of the parent population, right? And so that can sort of inform how we do parent education in the future. So to have, you know, multiple teachers in the building, you know, conducting research and, and reflecting really on our practice and what we do, um, you know, I hope will be really sort of could, could be transformational. Becky Roberts teaches middle school English, and she's also Montrose's middle school coordinator. Becky shares what she's exploring in the Birmingham Master's Program and how Montrose parents are helping to bring her research to life. Because last spring, I'd spent some time thinking about the, how parents 
can be involved in schools as partners in character education efforts. I wanted to figure out how to involve parents in my research. So what I did was I, um, I developed a lesson plan that I would use with students and I worked with seventh graders. Um, and it was a lesson plan that's connected to um, the Habits of Heart program at Montrose, which is our seventh grade focus for that. We, we probably know we have this um, continuum of Habits of Heart, Mind and Character through grades six, seven and eight. Seventh graders learn about the Habits of Heart which are really sort of virtues that we connect to building good relationships. Um, and so I pulled out the um, habit of empathy and did um, a lesson with the girls on empathy. And then what I did was I invented or invented, invited the parents um, to come to an evening lesson where I gave the same lesson to them so that they could have the experience of learning what their kids are learning um, in an effort really to help them to know better sort of what our character program looks like, how we um, approach our teaching, how we're having conversations, but also importantly to share with them um, some of the strategies that we're giving the girls about relationship building. So the lesson on empathy with the students involves some strategies for sort of managing um, you know, our first impressions to things that we, we see or read on social media. Um, and so I wanted the parents to be able to have some of that vocabulary to talk with their daughters as well. Um, so it was great. So we had a, a, you know, a parent lesson. They were also able to interact and go through the lesson with me, ask questions. Um, and then my job after that was to sort of evaluate how well that went, um, what we could learn from that. And it was great. I mean, it was really wonderful to um, get feedback from parents, both on sort of what the lesson was and how we're working with girls, but also really to learn from parents how much they enjoy being involved in their daughter's learning. We have a really, and I think I knew this already, but we have a really engaged parent community. Um, and so it seems to me now, like we have this opportunity to get parents really partnering with us on some of these areas of character development, which is really important, right? Because um, you know, in particular, I was talking about social media. That's, that's a space that is very much, um, you know, the auspices of the parents in a lot of ways. Um, but at the same time, you know, what happens with our girls on social media trickles into school, right? So we need to be able to work with families um, to make sure we're supporting the girls and teaching them the skills they need to navigate that sort of, you know, minefield occasionally. Um, online. So it was a great, a great opportunity to interact with parents, to get to know a little bit more from their perspective, but also to help them experience the curriculum. Yeah, I was able great. to, to listen to that class that you taught, you know, after the fact, oh, great. and it occurred to me that what you were really doing was bringing that parent teacher partnership into real time. You know, it's wonderful yeah. to get to connect parent teacher conferences or, you know, other informal ways throughout the year. But when you bring a very timely topic, like how we deal with social media and one another and empathy right. um, to the fore like that and to all the parents of that class at the same time, I think that really does empower parents to have positive conversations with their kids. Whereas, you know, traditionally middle schoolers and their parents talking about these, you know, the middle schoolers will maybe think that their parents are always on the other side of thinking that, you know, social media is only got bad things to say and do, you know, 
And really, it helps put everybody, like you said, on the same page with some common vocabulary. And it gives them the ability to start a more, I would guess, more positive conversation about it. Yeah, no, no, exactly. And that really was the goal. I mean, um, a lot of the research that I had done before was really about how do we cultivate that parent partnership. And so much of what we know we already do is, you know, we push out a lot of information to parents about what we're doing. We do have those um, conversations at conference time um, and grading times that are more based in the academics. But I was really hoping to be able to um, as you say, sort of bring parents into the conversation about how we're helping to, you know, build character here in a tangible and practical way um, so that they could really experience it, you know, in a, in a more active way as opposed to sort of passively taking in information. So, and to give them those tools to have the conversations at home. I'm curious how your research research is affecting your day-to-day teaching at Montrose, you know, in the classroom mm-hmm. or, or even the virtual classroom. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I would say that in so in so many different ways, right? As I said earlier about sort of just the way um, the language of these courses, especially the theoretical types of things are coming in. Um, I mean, the thing about Montrose is that, you know, we're so, so much of our philosophy is really grounded in a lot of the stuff that we're learning, right? So we had been talking about, you know, uh, the Aristotelian mean here at Montrose already before I started this project. So it was sort of nice to see all those things sort of coming together, right, in this, in this same place. But, you know, from a practical perspective, I would say that, you know, in, um, in my classes, right, I teach literature. And so we're constantly talking about um, you know, how we grow as people and um, sort of what that what outside influences are like on our lives. And in eighth grade in particular, you know, our um, our theme is understanding heroes and their flaws. And so this is such a great opportunity to talk about the language of virtue and character and growth um, and decision making and all these kinds of things. And so from a practical perspective, I do think a lot of the vocabulary comes into my classes I mean, even just today, we were talking about To Kill a Mockingbird, and we were talking about um, sort of the way Atticus Finch is raising his children. Um, And there's this whole scene in the beginning of the story where Scout goes to school for the first time, and the teacher says, your dad's been teaching you how to read. He needs to stop you know, I'm your teacher and I, you know, he's gonna, you know, he's, he's just wrecking everything. So tell him to stop teaching you how to read. And so this morning we talked about the fact that parents are the primary educators of their kids. Like, and that's, you know, that's a truth that we, you know, is embedded in our mission statement at Montrose. Um, But that in that particular moment in the story that that teacher was, you know, not connecting that, not, not honoring that relationship. Mm. Um, So even from that perspective, you know, just today, it's sort of, came into the conversation. So, um, you know, everything that we're doing, I really feel like is, is from, you know, the practical perspective to, um, the language to how I'm organizing things like essential questions. Like a a lot of it is really deeply affected by the learning that I'm doing in the program. I think the way the view the world views art is like there are those that know and understand it and it's not accessible to everybody. Um, they feel like they have to have a certain level of knowledge to fully appreciate it. But really it's just you just need to spend time with it. Lastly, we'll hear from Jennifer Bowman 
middle school art and religion teacher. Jennifer's research is informing her teaching process in real time. It's already illuminating how she approaches her students and the topics that they tackle together. For me, I'm really interested in how art um, can teach character to our students in the in a classroom setting. And it's kind of like twofold. It's like the creating art, um, but it's also looking at fine works of art and how I can use, use art to teach virtue. What is the topic of your your particular master's degree? Because like you said, it's being tailored essentially to your interests. Yeah, yeah. So I've been really focused on, um, for most of my work, on um, looking at fine works of art with students. And in this last module, this last um, uh, course that we took, it was about um, kind of designing an evaluation uh, for something that, you know, we do uh, professionally. So I chose um, to look at a, a practice that I have that I that I do in the classroom, and I do it frequently. I do it about, well, maybe 15 or 20 times a year where I have the students look at a fine work of art. Um, and I'm really, I'm inspired actually there's that, um, by this uh, educator and scholar out of Harvard, out of Project Zero. Her name is Sherry Tishman. And she talks a lot about slow looking and just what that, you know, the benefits of, uh, of deeply observing something. And I'm, I find that very inspiring. So. Um, with the students, I love to pick works of art that kind of complement the content. Um, and I will um, show the, the, the girls a work of art for seven seconds. And all the, their only job is just to look and just to notice. And then I, then I pull the work of art down. I, get, I project it up on the board. And then, then I turn it off. And then I just have them think about it for a moment. And then I ask them, like, what did you notice? And they're so good at it. They're so good <laughs> at noticing so many details uh, in a work of art. So, you know, usually I just write them down on the board, you know, all the observations, anything they noticed. Um, and it's it's very exciting. They love to tell, you know, tell the group what they noticed. And um, so then after we've kind of exhausted that list, then I will put the image back up, I'll project it back up. And then we spend about 30 to 45 minutes looking at that one image. And what I find just, you know, just so exciting as an educator is like what, you know, they do get a lot right in those first seven seconds, but then as we look, they discover more and it continues. And it continues for like 30 to 45 minutes. And again, it's just one image. Uh, and the dialogue that happens um, is is wonderful because you know what one student notices, um, you know somebody else may not have. But then also, you know, we all come to it with our own like personal history and the way we respond to the work of art. And usually, it's like a we initially look at it and say, you know, you know whether we like it or not, uh, we we kind of have a a judgment about the piece. And, and that comes from all different places within us. So as we start dialoguing about it, we start to recognize like, oh, you know, yes, we're looking at the same work of art, but we're having different reactions to it and different responses to it. And then we start sharing that. And, uh, and through that, you can actually teach virtue. So um, when I just stop you yeah. right there to say that is a fascinating approach in terms of, like you said, honoring 
whatever that first flash of a reaction is for us, mm-hmm. right? A response to a work, like you said, I like it, I don't like it, that kind of thing. Yeah. And really deep diving. It's almost the equivalent of like, first you have a speed date with the painting and <laughs> then you go have a cup of coffee with it. That's right. That's right. And then you start to, you appreciate it more when you start seeing it from different perspectives. So can you give me a specific example of this art analysis process that you take the students through? Sure. Yeah. So um, this past week uh, in my religion class, we were reading the gospel. We were reading Matthew, um, sorry, Matthew 17, and we came up to the story of uh, the temple tax and whether or not you know somebody came up to Peter and said, well, doesn't your master pay the temple tax? And it's a great story. So um, there's a wonderful painting by Masaccio, uh, which you can find in Florence. Um, so I, I used this painting to kind of show the girls, um, you know, an image of this particular story. And what was really fun about this, uh, this painting is, um, it's they noticed all the people right away. They noticed the bright colors in the front and those kind of uh, softer colors in the back. Uh, they noticed there were people were talking, uh, there was uh, people were pointing. And so as we started talking about this painting, um, what they didn't initially see is that there are three scenes in one. So the way Masaccio organized this is in the middle of the painting, uh, you have the the, uh, the uh, tax collector is standing in front of Jesus and Jesus is, is kind of pointing to his right um, to the sea. And then if, and, he's, and Peter is also pointing and then if you look in that direction, then you see Peter again, and he's fishing for the, he's looking for the fish that Jesus told him to go fish for and to find. And in, when he opens the mouth, you'll see two coins, one for you and one for me. And then on the right side, you see Peter paying the temple tax. So it slowly unfolds. The girls get very excited. They got so excited when they start recognizing, oh wait, they're wearing the same color tunic. So it's the same person painted three times. Um, and it took about 30 to 45 minutes to, to kind of get to that, but they got so excited. They're trying to figure out who's who in the, in the painting. And, you know, is this John or is this Matthew or is that Peter? Um, and then they started recognizing and near the end, this was really exciting, but in, in the end, they started recognizing that all of the, all of the lines within the painting all point to Jesus. So if you look at all of the architectural lines, um, all of the lines with the, the uh, mountains and the trees, all of those lines, if you kind of connect those um, invisible dots, you see they all, they all center on Jesus in the middle. So it was a very exciting lesson. They really, they really enjoyed it. So it's, you know, it's fun seeing them grow in this patience, you know, uh, and, and becoming comfortable with it. And then really it's what's so fun is you see how much they enjoy it. They enjoy um, these practiced pauses. So with this art activity with the girls the other day, and really actually with all of the art analysis activities that I teach, what I'm really looking at is, you know, my short-term, mid-range, and long-term goals. And um, this became very clear to me uh, when I was conducting my research this past semester. 
uh, I was really able to hone in on these goals. And the short-term goal is I really want the girls to recognize that they have this immediate reaction uh, to the image. Um, and then to practice that reflection, like that pausing. That pause is very purposeful in my, in my lesson. I want them to just pause and think. Uh, the mid-range is, the, that mid-range goal is to really appreciate the pause. Um, and then, you know, before they judge, um, it's kind of like practicing that self-mastery and the long-term goal. And, and this is what I, you know, this whole activity really points to it's practical wisdom. Um, it's recognizing and strengthening you know, our, our agency and how we judge our surroundings. I'm your host, Mary Cahill Farella, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation with our master's scholars, Barbara Whitlock, Becky Roberts, and Jennifer Bowman. Please visit MontroseSchool.org and click on Montrose Podcast to access further resources about their continuing education at the University of Birmingham. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay tuned. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Montrose Podcast. Please subscribe so that you'll be the first to know about future episodes and share the podcast with your friends and family. If you'd like to donate to Montrose Podcast, your gift will go directly to tuition assistance, a critical part of our mission to keep a Montrose education accessible. Thank you for doing your part to plant the seeds of lifelong Montrose friendships and ensure that each Montrose graduate takes with her a life compass to navigate the challenges beyond Montrose and seize opportunities to shape our changing world.